This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. The title of this seminar is The Fourth Angel. Does anyone know what the fourth angel is? The fourth angel? The fourth angel refers to Revelation 18, verses 1 through 4. You know the three angels, the three angels' messages. Revelation 18, 1 to 4 talks about the fourth angel. And I'll explain why this period and also next period, why that fourth angel relates so closely to literature. We're told that. That's why. We're told that. So to, uh, this, this uh, seminar presentation is entitled Literature Distribution for Today's Mind in Today's World. Literature Distribution for Today's Mind in Today's World. And we're going to pray in just a moment. But the question is, what is today's mind? <clears throat> How to reach today's mind? Today's mind is different than it was 100 years ago. It's different than it was 125 years ago, 200 years ago. It's different. What is today's mind? How can we reach it? That's the question that we're asking this morning. Turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2, and we'll read our first verse there. We'll have prayer, and we'll read our first verse in Daniel chapter 2. I like Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2 does not get old for me. After hearing many evangelists preach from Daniel chapter 2, I love Daniel chapter 2. <laughs> and we're going to look at Daniel 2 verse 45. And let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for these GYC attendees. Thank you that we can spend time thinking about your word and most of all thinking how to reach people that you died for, Lord. We, we are at the cross during these few days and we know that Jesus tasted death for every man, including the postmodern man, the secular man the man who doesn't appear to care about spiritual things. And I pray that you'll help us to know how to reach people better because of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Daniel 2, verse 45. <clears throat> Daniel is concluding his explanation of the dream to the king. Remember? First he explained the dream. First he told the dream. Then he explained the dream. This is the end of his explanation. Now, verse 45. Inasmuch as you saw, Daniel's talking to King Nebuchadnezzar, that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces the iron, bronze, clay, silver, gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. And then notice the last line. The dream is what? Certain. And its interpretation is what? Sure. The dream is certain. And its interpretation is sure. I have a slide here. This is from BBC, the news magazine, British Broadcasting Company. And it's uh, from this year, 2014. And this fellow is writing, his name is Tom. He says, is it better to be religious than spiritual? Is it better to be religious or spiritual? <coughs> religious is defined as <coughs> participating in religious activities going to church, fellowshipping with the body of believers. And spiritual is defined as having spiritual experiences, transcendent experiences, with a higher power. Is it better to be religious 
or spiritual. And this article discusses this, and it points out that in America, research has shown that one out of three people considers themselves SBNR. SBNR, spiritual but not religious. Spiritual but not religious, SBNR. So is it better to be spiritual or religious? According to America, one-third of Americans believe, no, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Interesting. Is that interesting? How many of you took, plate, uh, took part in the three-day canvassing outreach recently? Well, I see a few hands. We meet people when we, when we canvass, when we go door-to-door, when we talk to people. We meet people all the time. I don't want anything to do with religion, but I'm a spiritual person. Okay? Why do you think that is? It's definitely a movement in America. Maybe they've had bad experiences with the church. Maybe they've had bad experiences with a church of, of some kind. Very good. Or they don't want to be told what to do. SBNR, spiritual but not religious. There's a big chunk of people out there today who consider themselves that way. They don't believe in right or wrong. Now, uh, I want to, without taking more time to define the problem, I want to try to jump into a, a bit of a solution right away. Uh, there was an interview recently that Adventist Review did with Pastor Sean Boonstra, who's the director of Voice of Prophecy. He's preached all over the world. And this, that's uh, Sean Boonstra, this is what he said. He pointed out in this article that research, uh, current, current research shows 34% of Americans attend church. Back in 1789, when the Constitution was ratified, only 17% of people attended church. Huh? Wait a minute, that seems backwards, doesn't it? Is that backwards? But he pointed that out. Isn't that interesting? And actually, there was a, there was a Pew Research survey that was done that actually said that it was more than 34%. It was more like 38% of Americans attend a church every weekend. And that includes synagogue or whatever, okay, attend a house of worship. So Boonstra then goes on to point out that it, it actually isn't as different as you think it is. Notice this, okay? We may have to back up to very foundational issues with this generation, but this idea that people are not religiously inclined, nonsense. Human beings are struggling with the same things we've struggled with for thousands of years. The core human problems never change. Okay? So the point is, yes, there are people who say they're spiritual but not religious. Yes, there are postmoderns who believe that there's no right or wrong, that everything's fuzzy, and that you have your own experience. Yes, there are people who are secular, but the core human problems never change. What's he talking about? What's a core human problem that everybody faces? What was that? Pride? Okay, what else? Sin. The results of sin. Death. Everybody has to face death. Every culture in the world has a way of relating to death. And they struggle. Even primitive cultures, you know, the, the famous Egyptians, when they put the Pharaoh to rest, they mummify him, and they set him in a canoe, and they give him food to go on his journey across the waters into the, the realm of the dead, you know. That's the way they process death. And even if you're a secular person, even if you're a postmodern person, even if you're an SBNR, whatever you are, you have to face death. How about guilt? It seems as if some people have no guilt nowadays, but almost everyone does have guilt. 
that's, a, that's something that's almost universal. That's a core human problem that doesn't change. Even if you're SBNR or you don't believe that there's any truth or you don't believe that just look, you, you know that there's something funny when some kid is mutilated. You know there's a problem. You, don't, you, you can't say that that's amoral. So the core human problems never change. Death. Folks, do we have answers for these things? Do we have answers to what happens with that, what, the meaning of death? Do we have answers to the meaning, to, to, to what to do with guilt? That's what this whole convention is about, right? At the cross. We have answers by God's grace. It's not because we're smart. God has given us a lot of answers. Praise his name. There's a lot of truth that we have. A lot of truth. So, are people interested in spiritual things nowadays? Think about this. What are the best the best-selling movies, supernatural characters. People are interested in the supernatural. People with superhuman powers. Batman, Spider-Man. Uh, how about this one? Frozen. There she is, casting a spell on someone or something. Okay? These are, these are the best-selling ones. These are the top movies, okay? There's almost always a supernatural component. People like the magic or the superhuman powers or... Uh, the latest one is the, what they call a dystopia. Dystopia is the opposite of utopia. There's been an apocalyptic crash. Earth is a, blew up, and the, the people who survived created a new, bizarre, twisted civilization, and they call that a dystopia. That's the latest thing, and it's, it's kind of science fiction and futuristic, and there's supernatural stuff going on. That's what's popular. People have an interest in spiritual things. They have an interest in the future. They have an interest in destiny. Think about this. Um, you know, it goes on. Guardians of the Galaxy, The Hobbit, uh, oh, Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park has now grossed, it's past the one billion mark. Okay, people are interested in this stuff. People are interested in channeling. I was driving somewhere and trying to keep myself awake, and it was at night. I hate driving at night because I, I have a tendency to go to sleep, and then I'm going to drive off the road, and my wife's going to be a widow. So I try very hard to keep myself awake, and so I listen to some stuff on the radio that's just so foolish, but at least it keeps me awake if I don't have anybody to call. And I was listening, and I was cruising through, and I, I listened to this, this guy who was channeling, and he would, call, he would take calls, and the person says, what about my grandmother? She died. And the guy says, hang on, hang on, I'm getting something, I'm getting something. D was she da-da-da-da? Uh, and she says, oh, yes, yes, that's my grandma. You know, and it goes on like this. And people are interested in that. Those things are very common. Pet channeling. Have you heard of pet channeling? Okay, you can talk to your dead pet. No, I'm not kidding. Okay. So these things are really popular. People are interested in spiritual things. <clears throat> How about this? Here's a list. Check this out. This is a list of specials on the History Channel and the Discovery Channel. These are actual specials, okay? The Lost Book of Nostradamus. This is the few, you know, prophecy. He's Mr. Prophet. Okay? Ape to Man. Does that sound familiar? Secrets of the Apostles. Enigmas of the Old Testament. Who wrote the Bible? A History of God. Countdown to Apocalypse. UFOs, the secret history. Okay, folks, this isn't like some bizarre thing. This is the History Channel and Discovery Channel. Okay? These are really popular. Lost Magic Decoded, Prophets of Doom, Jesus, the Lost 40 Days, Secret Access, the Vatican, Prehistoric Megastorms, Noah's Flood, the Ten Commandments. Okay, so these, these are, this is a popular, popular place. These guys, they're, they're, they know what people are thinking about. And if people weren't thinking about these things, didn't care about them, they wouldn't show these. 
People care about this stuff. Today's mind, today's world, postmodern, secularists, for the most part, for most of these people, they care about this stuff, but they don't have answers. I'll tell you what the biggest myth is, and this is, again, Sean Boonstra's point. The biggest myth is that the postmodern, secular person is happy. That's false. They're not happy. They're not fulfilled. They don't have answers. There's a lot of uncertainty. Like Daniel, Daniel 2.45 we read, Daniel looked at the king right in the face as if he were looking at a GoPro camera, right? He just looked it right in the face and he just said, the interpretation, the dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. We have surety, we have certainty for people for whom there is no certainty in their heads. And our literature contains a lot of certain stuff. And that's exciting. If you're really a secular person, life has absolutely no meaning, no purpose, no mission, nothing, just the inevitable death. Albert Camus wrote, wrote a book called The Plague, and this is uh, set in, I think it's the 14 or 1500s when the bubonic plague was roaring through Europe and North Africa, and he, uh, he has one of the characters, the Catholic Church, he essentially is making fun of the Catholic Church, because the priest is saying, well, the reason why these people have been struck with the plague is because they're sin sinners. And the main character sees a little child dying of the, pl the plague and says, that doesn't make sense, priest. And then the priest himself, of course, gets sick, and there, there's a whole, a whole plot. But the writer, who's an agnostic, Albert Camus, concludes essentially by saying, life cannot have any meaning. And the only question is, do I commit suicide now or later? That's all you have, folks. And this, is, this, this, guy, this guy, of course, people think that he's amazing. He won a Nobel Peace Prize. No, is that right? No, a, 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 one of these prizes. And, and, and he spent, a, he spent it, his time in multiple marriages, sleeping with many partners, uh, had four children by seven women, or seven children by four women, I guess it was, something like that, some terrible life. And he said, marriage is not for me, etc. And he won a Nobel Prize for philosophy. Folks, these people have no answers. These people have no answers. God has given us meaningful answers to real questions. Praise his name. I remember I was watching MTV years ago. <laughs> and this, they did some special on how wicked, basically it was about how, how bad these stars are. And the, the host at the very end, the host is standing there with the spotlight on him, and the host says, and this proves Nothing. And he says, because nothing matters anyway. And he turned and he walked off. That was the end of the show. He, he just betrayed a tiny bit of his philosophy. Because nothing matters anyway, he said at the very end. But, but, but MTV's wrong. MTV's wrong. There's meaning in life. Deep meaning. Deep, deep meaning. My uh, young friend Nelson Ernst, who's in the other building giving a seminar on GLOW, he was flying in uh, to Amsterdam to visit his girlfriend, fiance, who's now his wife. And he was uh, taking off, perhaps, from Amsterdam Air Airport. And he, he uh, was sitting next to a lady who was a professor at a university in Holland. And as they chatted, he gave her glow tracts. And they had a nice friendship. And at the, end of the, at, at the end of the flight, she said, you know, you're lucky. You have something to believe in. The rest of us are still looking around. You're lucky. You're fortunate, she says. There's so many needs out there. The postmodern mind 
is not fulfilled, not satisfied with uncertainty. They are fundamentally uncertain. Well, today, one of my main points is do, please do not be intimidated by the postmodern secular mind. Please do not be intimidated. Don't think that when you hand them a tract, they're going to, to say, no. Don't, don't think that. These people, are, these people are open. These people are searching. Many of them are searching people. They, they, they don't know what to make of life. They don't know what to make of life. So let's go over. Number one, people are still thinking about spiritual things. Number two, it's a myth that postmodern secular people are happy, satisfied, and fulfilled. That's a myth. Okay, so those are about the first two points. Now let's go on to point number three. Point number three will surprise you. Are you ready to be surprised? Okay? So people are still thinking about spiritual things. And number two, it's a myth that postmodern secular people are happy, satisfied, and fulfilled. Number three, people are still what? People are still reading, and they're reading spiritual books. Hmm. Prove it to me, Crick, you say? Prove it to me. This is a, quoting a Pew study. Pew uh, is, a, is, a, is a poll, like uh, Gallup, okay? And this is quoted now in the New York Times. They did a huge study of America. It says, regardless of where they do it, the Pew study presented what seems a fairly upbeat picture of reading. Readers consumed an average of 15 books in the previous year. 14% of the respondents read 21 or more books. Whoa. That's interesting. That's very interesting. So, was that you? Was that me? That's a lot. People are reading. Check this out. Forbes magazine. This is one of my favorite ones. I've, I've used this before. Uh, I just love, love this quote, okay? So Forbes magazine, this is basically a magazine for rich people. Are books in danger? The conventional wisdom would say, yes, after all, more and more media, internet, TV, uh, satellite radio, video games compete for our time. And the web in particular with its emphasis on textual snippets, skimming, and collaborative creation seems ill-suited to nurture the sustained authoritative transmission of complex ideas that has been the historical purview of the printed page. Surprise! the conventional wisdom is wrong. Our special report on books and the future of publishing is brimful of reasons to be optimistic. People are reading more, not less. Why? Because the internet is fueling literacy. Everybody's on the web. If you can't read very well, the web doesn't do that much for you. Isn't that interesting? The internet is actually pushing literacy up. So giving away books away offline increases, uh, online, uh, increases offline readership. It says, people still burn books. Check this out. This is the little conclusion of Forbes. People still burn books, but that only means that books are still dangerous enough to destroy. And if people want to destroy them, they are valuable enough that they will endure. That's interesting, isn't it? Okay, so people still burn books. That's a good thing. There still is power in the ideas com communicated through the printed page or through ebooks or whatever you want. People still burn books. Check this out, okay? This is from the BISG and the AAP. This is, these are the two lar largest industry leaders in studying the publishing and literature industry in America. Over 2012 and 2013, we don't have numbers for 2014 yet, of course. There's an, there was an 8% increase in books purchased over that two-year two period. People are buying more books than they did. Ebook revenue dropped 0.7%. What? How can that possibly be? 
Well, that's because their prices went down. Actually, the unit sales went up by 10% in 2013. So ebooks, people are buying more ebooks, including myself. I just bought uh, a whole 50-some, 50 55 Ellen White books at one swap, one shot uh, for my tablet. And a couple weeks ago, I downloaded an ebook and read it quickly. So I read ebooks. I like ebooks. But there's still only 19% of all books purchased. Isn't that interesting? And revenue actually dropped last year. So it's actually a little different than you think. Isn't that interesting? It's different than you think. Okay, religious book sales increased 31% over the three-year period 2011 to 2013. People are interested in reading religious stuff. Notice, notice 31%. That's, I mean, that's significant. That outpaces the rate of increase for regular books. People are interested in religious books, according to the BISG and the AAP. Uh, this is a quote from Stephen Johnson. He's the author of Where Good Ideas Come From. He's a, a thinker, and he, he thinks about thinking and ideas, okay? Where do good ideas come from? His books are, are very popular at Amazon. The book, in its traditional form, has been as much of an idea generator as the web or the city over the centuries because the linear format of the book and the word count of most books allowed more complex or important arguments or observations to be presented. In other words, tracts are awesome, but if you really want to deliver a full meal deal punch, you need to go get a GC and hand it out, right? So in other words, an important or complex argument or observation is presented through a book. So are people reading spiritual books? Yes. Have you heard of Heaven is for Real? Heaven is for Real? That's the little boy that died and went to heaven or whatever in Kansas or wherever he was. And Heaven is for Real. And this is, this is on the New York Times bestseller list. I mean, people gobbled this baby up. Check this one out, Proof of Heaven, and its sequel now just was released, The Map of Heaven. This is written by a neurosurgeon. So this is, this is highly, for people, this is highly uh, credible. So this neurosurgeon was, had a, a brain infection, I think it was, and he went to the ER. He went into a coma, and he was in a coma for quite some time. And during his coma, he says he went to heaven and spoke with the divine source of the universe. Then when he came back, it was some amazing miracle that he was brought out of a coma, and then he lived to tell about it, and he wrote this book, which is a best-selling book. And it says, that I know I'm quoting from Amazon, thousands have had near-death experiences, but scientists argue that they are impossible. Then, neurosurgeon Eben Alexander's brain was attacked by a rare illness. His recovery is a medical miracle, but not the real miracle. While his body lay in a coma, Alexander journeyed beyond the physical world with an angelic being who guided him to the divine source of the universe. Reading his story will change your life. And now the sequel, The Map of Heaven, where he chronicles the, the uh, experiences of many people like him. Since he's a neurosurgeon, it lends credibility to it. Fascinating. People gobble this stuff up. Uh, that's him right there, Evan Alexander with Oprah Winfrey, Proof, proof of Heaven. It's a picture for you. Um, Hunger Games, Divergent Insurgent, those are post-apocalyptic books that are extremely popular on the New York Times bestseller list. Harry Potter, frozen novels with magic and prophecy. And then I, I did want to mention um, these two at the bottom, Angels and Demons and The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown, 81 million books sold of The Da Vinci Code. Just because people love conspiracies, and particularly if they involve the Catholic Church. And that's what that last book is, conspiracies 
conspiracy theories and the Catholic Church. You know, I don't believe in conspiracy theories, even though they're very popular. But there's one conspiracy theory I do believe in, and that's the one in Revelation chapter 13. But people love this stuff. They're so interested in it. Why are we reluctant to share our message when there's so much interest in this sort of thing out there? So much interest. Folks, this is stuff we have answers for. Big time. Our literature, our books, our tracts, their production, their distribution, their use in evangelism can meet real needs in real people. Don't be fooled into thinking that only internet witnessing or movies will be effective. By the way, I love internet witnessing, and I sell lots and lots of DVDs. But don't be fooled into thinking that's the only thing that matters. So, let's go back to where we are. People are still thinking about spiritual things. Number two, it's a myth that postmodern secular people are happy, satisfied, and fulfilled. And number three, people are still reading. And they are reading spiritual books. And number four, like Jesus, we have answers. Do we have answers? Do we have answers? Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 7. Do we have answers? We do, but it's not because we're smarter than everybody else or because we're special. It's because we've been given answers. John chapter 7 and verse 26. There was confusion in Christ's day. Part of, part of the postmodern mind is confusion. Nothing is certain. It's foggy. And did you know that in Jesus' time, there was a lot of uncertainty and confusion as well? Listen to John 7, verse 26. These are the people. This is the crowds speaking. But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this truly is the Christ? However, we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one knows where he's from. Where did they get that idea from? Do you know? Is that in the Bible? No, it's not. So it was a common, like an urban legend. Uh, when the Christ comes, no one will know where he's from. That's not true. The Bible says that he was from Galilee, the Gentiles, have seen a great light, right? He's from Nazareth. That's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, and Micah 5, 2, right, from Bethlehem. But here they're, they're saying, okay, so there's, there's some confusion. Now fast forward to verse 40, and we'll see some more confusion. Verse 40, therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, truly, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Well, wait a minute. He was from Bethlehem, but they didn't know it. They, Galilee and the See, they're confused. You see? They're confused. So in the middle of all this confusion, Jesus cuts right through. And it's really fun to watch how he relates to confused people in the scriptures. Turn to John chapter 4. We won't take, spend a long time here. We're going to touch on several stories where Jesus cuts through and speaks to confused people with tenderness, gentleness, but a lot of confidence and certainty. Chapter 4. <clears throat> Do you remember what her confusion was? Verse 20. Verse 20. Our fathers worshipped... Well, verse 19. 
Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Basically, she was dealing with the issues of worship, like, what's your worship style? Okay? So, you know, she immediately goes to the confusing issue of the day. And to watch Jesus' response is beautiful. He doesn't, he, he, he actually, essentially, he says, verse 22, you worship what you do not know, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Verse 22, he gave her the answer, salvation is of the Jews. But he de- deals with her very kindly. But Jesus gives a certain response. I want to spend, I want to go forward to, uh, through just a few more stories here because I don't want to run out of time. Uh, John chapter 3. Oh, John chapter 3. Nicodemus was Mr. Uncertain. Remember? He didn't even know what to say to Jesus. He kind of came and he was kind of nervous, kind of self-conscious, and he said, Master, we know that uh, you're a great teacher in Israel because nothing, you know, da 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 or whatever. He didn't even know what to ask. Remember that? He was Mr. Uncertain. And Jesus just basically brushed aside his comment and went right for what Nicodemus needed. That happens all the time, by the way, especially in the book of John. Jesus, Jesus goes, uh, Jesus, Jesus gets a question that's like this, and he answers over here. Have you noticed that? Anybody who studies your Bible? Have you noticed that? Jesus often answers a question indirectly, but that's because he knows that the person actually needs something else other than what he's asking, because he's confused. Uh, turn your Bibles now to Luke chapter 13. I want us to look at Luke 13 together. If it weren't for this uh, microphone, I'd have somebody read it out loud, but the mic wouldn't pick it up. Luke chapter 13, verse 1. I want us all to look at this. This is what I call the 9-11 scripture. The 9-11 scripture. Luke 13, verse 1. <clears throat> there were present at that season some who told Jesus about the Galileans, these are Jews, whose blood Pilate had mixed or mingled with their sacrifices. Ew, what is that? Okay, so we often think of Pilate as a kind of a weak-willed guy who kind of got caught in a trap or whatever. No, Pilate, Pilate was pretty cutthroat. I mean, he, he went out and killed a bunch of Jews, took their blood, and put it on the sacrifices, which to a Jew is highly what? Offensive, right? Highly offensive, okay? And so that was the latest CNN headline and so they're telling Jesus about this headline, saying, Master, like, you know, what's, what's the deal? Were these, these guys, obviously, these Galileans that Pilate slaughtered, they must obviously be bad. Okay? Jesus responded, verse 2, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? So that's what they were thinking, right? If you get a disease, it's because you're sin- sinning. If you get uh, in trouble, if an accident happens to you, it's because you're sinning. If you're born blind, it's because you sinned or the parents sinned. I'm not sure. I'm confused. Okay. Right? You get it? So, so they're saying to Jesus, these guys, because Pilate did this to them, they were the worst sinners, and that's why it happened. And Jesus says what? No. Right? N-O. I tell you No. But unless you repent, you also likewise will perish. So there's this, there's this, this um, Jesus turns it around and says, no, that's not correct. And then he goes for the heart, doesn't he? He says, this is a reason to repent. You also likewise will perish. Verse 4, now this is the 9-11 text, okay? 
Or, Jesus continues, or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? Those people who were in the top of the towers, 9-11, who worked for that, that investment company, I forgot the name of it, were they worse sinners? Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? Evidently, some tower fell in Jerusalem and crushed 18 people, and they died. And the people of the time were confused, and they were uncertain, and they didn't know what to make of it. And Jesus cuts right through it and says, no. Right? Verse 5, I tell you, no. They weren't. The Tower of Siloam fell probably because it was structurally weak. But Jesus takes that, says exactly what the answer is, and then he turns it around and makes an, an, an excuse to go for the person's heart. I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you all, will all likewise perish. So this certainty, there's this confusion. Remember John chapter 9? They, they, they pass a blind man. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Was it his parents sinned and then he was born blind? Or was it he who sinned when he came out of the womb? Like, what, what happened? I'm confused. Jesus said, what? Neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned that he was born blind. Bad stuff happens. So this confusion, Jesus cuts through the confusion. Jesus has answers. Jesus has answers. In Matthew 19, let's turn to Matthew chapter 19. Folks, our literature and our outreach and our evangelism need to provide answers to confused people. That's one thing I love about literature evangelism, about doing outreach. We have answers. Praise God. We have something that can help people. That's exciting. 19, verse 23. 19, verse 23. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And, of course, it's hard for a rich man to, get, uh, to enter a needle, etc. Verse uh, 24, verse 25. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Why were they astonished? If you're rich... Obviously, God is favoring you because you're righteous. So the richer you are, the more righteous you are, and the poorer you are. So that's really, that's, it doesn't always add up, though. And they knew it didn't add up, and the people knew it didn't add up, but they believed it, but it was confusing, wasn't it? It was confusing. Jesus cuts right through that and shows them what the certain answer is. Matthew 22, we won't take time to look at this. Matthew 22, Jesus teaches with certainty. He teaches he teaches in Matthew 22 that there is a resurrection, that you, you, that you can be sure about it. You remember that? The Sadducees said, well, Master, there's a man who had seven wives. They all were widowed, no children. In the resurrection, whose husband, whose wife will be with whom? And Jesus answered with a direct, certain answer. Cuts through all of that. Yes, the Messiah is actually the Son of God, not just the Son of David. Yes, we must pay taxes to Caesar. Yes, there is a resurrection. Matthew 24, the future is certain, not uncertain. Fishermen, tax collectors, Jewish zealots, he gave them meaning and purpose, saying that the kingdom of God is spiritual and not temporal. The woman caught in adultery, oh, she needed concrete and sure acceptance and forgiveness. The demoniacs, he gave them stability. Jesus has answers. Like Jesus, folks, we have answers.
How about Saul the persecutor? Saul the persecutor needed hardcore mission. Hardcore mission. You want to be hardcore? One of my favorite Ellen White quotes says, here's something that you can, something that you can be enthusiastic about. You know the word enthusiasm back in Ellen White's day actually um, was a derogatory term. <clears throat> when somebody, she says, when somebody really starts praying and committing their lives to God, the cry will be raised, enthusiasm. In other words, fanaticism. Okay, so that was a synonym for fanaticism. Okay, so, so she says, they'll cry enthusiasm. She says, here, here is something you can be enthusiastic in, in, for the enthusiast. In other words, something you can be fanatical about. She says, the cross of Christ. So here is, here is hardcore mission. Jesus has something for you to be hardcore about. The mission of the cross and the three angels' messages. So folks, we have answers. We have what people, even postmoderns, are looking for. We have the answer for the future. Daniel chapter 2. We, you know, why do palm readers and crystal ball gazers exist? I just passed one. Oh. Okay, we'll continue in the dark. This is great. I don't know what happened, but we'll continue in the dark. So, why is it, in fact, I just passed one. Did you guys see it when you pulled in? How many people saw the palm reader a couple days ago? Do you see it? It's right down here on 3rd Street or something. I exited from the freeway and I passed it. And it, the difference between the ones here and in California, the ones in California have a gigantic Mother Mary on them. So there's some Catholicism mixed in with that. I'm not sure how that works. But why is it that that palm reader exists? It's because people pay her or him, right? Okay? And so people care about that. People, people go to crystal ball gazers. People pay for their services. We have the answer for the existence of the supernatural. We have the answer for death and the meaning of death. What happens after death? We have the answer for the meaning of life. Sorry, MTV, you got it wrong. We have the answer for guilt, the cross of Christ. We have the answer for power to do what's right. I was canvassing. Uh, we were in businesses. This is years ago. I was with this, this older guy, and he was teaching me. I was young, very young. And we walked into this medical place, and we started making friends with people and trying to you know, hand them literature or whatever. And this lady had just come off of duty. She just got off of work, and she had her scrubs on. And she, I think she was an aide or a nurse. And she came out. I remember, I remember her. And we started talking to her. And we started talking to her about Christ. And we started talking to her about religious things. And she had a religious background. She had spiritual interest. And after a, a, just a couple minutes, we had showed her some books. She shared about her personal life. And she wound up breaking down and crying right there in the hospital lobby as she exclaimed, I want to do what's right, but I just can't. We had answers for her. We left her with some amazing literature. We talked to her. We prayed with her. We have answers for people who need the supernatural power of God in their lives. We have the answer for the rat race of life. People are weary. We have the Sabbath. We have the answer for health and wellness. Well, folks, these are huge, huge issues in America today, right? Health and wellness is a big deal. Okay, we have, even have the answer for someone who loves conspiracy theories, as I mentioned earlier. We, of all people, have an explanation of the problem of suffering. The great controversy between good and evil. Praise his name. Talk about a confusing, difficult, difficult thing, right? That's difficult. Most, most of these, the, today's mind and today's world, the problem of suffering is a huge question. Huge question. We have so much literature that deals with that problem. The book Great Controversy is only the beginning. Praise his name. 
So our literature, our books, our tracts, their production, their distribution, their use in evangelism can meet real needs in real people. Don't be fooled that they don't. Are you willing this morning to be unashamed when you hand someone a tract? Are you willing to be unashamed? I challenge you not to back off in the slightest, to go back to your home church and to be active in distribution of literature and all outreach. God has blessed us tremendously. And don't forget, the personal contact, which is inherent in literature evangelism, can have a powerful effect on anyone searching for meaning and certainty. And for more on this, come to our next seminar. Okay, personal contact. The personal contact component. The personal contact component of literature outreach can have a powerful effect on someone who's searching, someone whose mind is uncertain. It can have a powerful, powerful effect. Daniel 2, in closing, Daniel chapter 2, verse 45. We're going to end where we started. Daniel standing before the king, standing straight up, his posture like a pole, looking at the king in the face. And he said, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've given us. You've been so kind to give us answers that are meaningful. You've been so kind to give us a fulfilling and satisfied life. And I pray now, Lord, that each of us in this room will take what you've given to us and share with people who don't have answers, with people who are confused and uncertain. I pray that you'll baptize us with your spirit and fill us with love as we talk to people, as we leave literature, as we do evangelism at our home churches. Bless us. Bless the rest of our day. And I thank you again for GYC. I praise you for this convention. Bless us now in Jesus' name. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at The Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.